0: I'm Maria Menunos, and you're tuned in to Afterbuzz TV, the ESPN of TV Talk. Now, let the Buzz begin.
1: Hello, After Buzzers, and welcome to episode one, L or talking New France for the new show Barkskins. Super excited to talk about this show. Uh, my name is Carrie Lane. I'm joined by my awesome
0: co-host Rachel. Hey everyone, I'm really excited to be here and um, talk about all the history as well Yeah. yes and we have a very special guest
1: in the house we have elwood reed welcome
2: hey thank you guys for having me
1: i was like getting rolling into it because i'm like oh my goodness this new show and so exciting and so you're the showrunner for the show please explain what that is because i feel some people don't quite understand what a showrunner is and what they do
2: uh i mean it's a it's an all-encompassing term i mean it means I have to say there's different styles of showrunners for every show, um, but essentially it can go as big as a showrunner writes and produces and oversees every aspect of the show, including the writer's room and the production of the show, or maybe they just write a few episodes and they leave it with their line producer, but um, it, it's I, I write, produce the show and oversee most of the aspects of the production. Um, I'm responsible for hiring and you know, I think next year if we got another season, I would be directing. I just, I didn't have the time this year. I, there was no way. Uh, trying to launch a new show
1: well you're juggling already many hats as you just said so it's quite a few yeah.
2: uh,
1: which one actually do you like doing the best
2: I mean it's funny I like the writing uh, usually by myself I, and but I also but I should clarify that I like having written not writing the process of writing mm. can be <laughs> done. it's very rewarding yeah. um, but I love that idea because there's no budget there's no stars uh, at that point, anything I think of, can go into the, into the stew. So I love that part, but you know, as I've, you know, as I progressed as a showrunner, um, but, you know, I, I really think the single most important besides the scripts and being on the page is being up there producing uh, because you know, I, I don't understand the showrunners that don't go to set. Um, I mean, I, I have some yeah. friends that don't do that, but um, for someone like me, especially in a first year show, that how that script gets translated by both the actors, the director and all of your production department heads uh, is extremely important. And uh, particularly a show like this, you mentioned history in the beginning. There was so many things to, there's so many things to get wrong and not get right. Uh, and and when you're working for Nat Geo, um, I felt that burden doubled. Like I couldn't yeah. have, like a, you know, I didn't wanna have someone coming in with like a, a, a modern ax or, you know, I try to be, you know, the guns were period correct. I tried to have everything as period correct as possible. Um, and, and things slipped through the cracks. I mean, like we've, you know, I'm sure everyone's famously talked about the water bottle on Game of Thrones.
0: Yeah,
2: that's the biggest show on TV. And like, you know, there was millions of people watching that show and yet that yeah. got through. So it's, you know, it's always, it's always, it's my fault if it goes wrong. And uh, it's, uh, you don't get much credit if it goes right. No one sees the sweat. So that's the job of a
0: showrunner. Now, my question is, based off what you were saying, um, did you, I mean, we all know this is based off the 2016 novel of the same name. Did Mm -hmm. you find yourself referencing the novel and trying to be um, true to the novel? Or was this just supposed to be more of a basis of the novel um, and that as your starting point?
2: That's a good question. I mean, I should say this, Annie Prue is an author. I, I'm a novelist and short story writer. That's, I've published four books. I have another one I'm almost done with. Um, she's a writer who meant an immense amount to me as a writer. So when I got offered, you know, to adapt her book, I paid attention. Um, but that being said, having my own books adapted and having adapted other people's books, um, adaptation's a tricky art because, yeah. you know, the, the novel's 700 pages long and, um, I took the first 100 pages, the characters over the first 150 pages, because um, she she travels 300 years in her narrative. I, there's no way I could do that in TV. I'd love to have these fantasies of like, you know, every episode was a different, you know, decade or something like that. Mm. It, it was impossible to produce. That's where the show running producing comes in. So, um, but that being said, the uh, the novel, there's a couple of lines of dialogue that are lifted directly from the novel. So I felt that was really important to sort of put those lines of dialogue in there. And there's some characters that come from the novel, but then I had to invent some other stuff to go with it, Um, just just to kind of carry the plot narrative, because, you know, she didn't intend, Annie Prue did not intend to spend, you know, a whole season's worth of storytelling in those first 100 pages. She was moving through time. Um, So for a TV, I had to slow down a little bit, set some scenes, set some characters, set some motivation. So I had to add a lot more character and plot than I thought I would have to normally.
0: It is interesting though, because I started reading the book and I did feel as I was going through the first couple of chapters that there were (laughs) a lot, like it did feel um, like we were starting to meet the same people. And um, I did feel like watching the first episode of Barskins was very faithful. Um, Like it felt like they felt, they felt like they were the same tone. Um,
2: Well, you know, you, that's really smart because, you know, the job of an adaptation is not to re- recreate the book. In my opinion, Book, a bo- a, when you love a book, it's the perfect art form. It's like falling into this movie in your head and it's immersive in the best way. Um, you're never going to recreate that in a TV show. There's too much of a distance. Um, and And so I think the best adaptations get at that tone or that kernel of thing that makes a book special and they riff on it or they expand on it or they take an element that wasn't, uh, an A, you know, an A, like an A melody line, a B melody line and make it the A. So, I mean, that's the art adaptation and everyone's different. I've adapted lots of different stuff and you you pick and choose your path. But in this, I just knew that, you know, um, again, I had to, I felt burdened by Annie because she's a writer that means so much to me and I know she's very, very popular author. She's, you know, one of the people, I think it was a Pulitzer Prize she's won. Um, but I just felt that burden, like I didn't want to mess it up. I didn't want to piss people off. So I took The beginning of the book, that really exciting opening with those characters, and just expanded on that, you know. And then in future seasons, there's a lot of lot of book left. We could we could go into that if we had to. But it was just it was it was like a scalpel. I went in there with a scalpel and then and then forgot about the book and then expanded on it. That's the adaptation job.
1: Did you know going in that you wanted to cover X amount of pages per the limited miniseries kind of run of the eight episodes?
2: No, I mean it's funny. I, as I've gotten older, I don't know anything. Um, and that everything's, I'm always looking to seek that jump, jumping out of a plane feeling because when I, when I'm handed something like a book or a TV project or whatever it is, and I know what it is and I, it, it's boring to me. So I did not know. I was scared when I first heard the book. I just didn't know, you know, where to go with it. And that fear, what, what I did know is I wanted to do it. So I called up the, the producers right away and said, I can do this total bullshit. Do you know I mean, <laughs> but that's how good stuff comes. Cause then I was like, okay, you know, you know, you got the job, you know, now you have. To yeah. So, um, I always, as I've gotten older, I look for that fear factor a little bit. I think, I think that's when good stuff comes. Look, I can, there's stuff that comes very easy to me very naturally. And, and I have a tendency to avoid that when I'm picking projects. And this was mm. the wrangle 700 page environmental novel that covers multiple generations and 300 plus years. You don't, you have to figure out a way to wrestle that bear down to the ground and extract something good from it. And that that was the job.
1: Now, speaking of extracting something good from it, what was it about this story, this book that made you want to tell it now?
2: Well, when you're looking for projects, I mean, again, this sounds crazy. There are no shows set in this setting. There's no shows set in this time period. Um, it, so that by itself, it felt like I've done a lot of cop shows. You've done all, you know, it, it, that felt unique and fresh, you know? And so then, then my challenge became, okay, you're doing a period quote costume drama show. And I think there's a lot of baggage that goes with those things. You know, oh. it's everyone's going to meet at the ball and there's going to be all these sort of like a lot of people in, ro- you know, well-paneled rooms talking and there's a, there's a, always a horse with a carriage running through and, um, I was like, I wanted to blow that up a little bit because I, I feel like, you know, I wanted to add a little bit of sort of more plot, a little more violence, a little more incident, uh, and try to because that period of time is incredibly bloody, incredibly exciting, and incredibly jam packed. So, you know, the challenge of 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 that was just sort of like, how do I take a period piece? and and breathe a little life into because i love period shows i've watched belgravia i've watched downton abbey you know i i love period shows that do something fresh sort of like uh, peaky blinders it just (laughs) feels it updates that and i I didn't see that stuff out there so whenever you're looking for a project like that you go okay well i get to have you know people in the woods with axes you get to have the french and the english trying to kill each other uh i get to have the the native americans trying to figure out which side to go on um, and and there was a lot of just juicy sort of plot and history that was already there. So I just got more excited the more research I did.
0: What's so interesting about it is a lot of times, like, we have a ton of information on the French Revolution and the events <laughs> leading to that. What we usually don't see so much are the events leading to the French and Indian War, um, yeah. which, is so, which is paramount. So I love the fact that we're getting this set in this time period. Uh, it's so interesting to me seeing... All of these things brought to life um, in in a show, and and seeing these two characters, um, just you know, seeing um, I think instead of seeing it from the British perspective, seeing it from the French perspective as well. Mm-hmm. I thought that was such a fresh take.
2: Well, you know, it's it's funny because we get a lot of if you're talking about period peace, you get a lot of the settlement of the West, right? Um, and you got to remember when the West was settled, our West, uh, the, the the United States West. You know, there'd been civilization for hundred and plus years on the East. This is the first English and European settlement coming down the, the St. Lawrence Seaway. Now, Quebec City is the oldest city in North America. And when you go up there, you feel it. And I think why you say that is because I think because it's, it seems more part of Canadian history, but it's really the story of North America. And it's really the story of how our civilization was founded. And And right there, when you look, there's this little sort of jar of characters, you know, the French... English, the different companies that they're trying to take, all the different, I mean, dozens and dozens of Indian tribes, um, and little tiny place with severe weather, harsh seasons, and very hard place to survive, you automatically have great story just coming from that. So, I, you know, again, it felt like a no-brainer. I was like, how come no one had done this before?
1: Now, was it important to you? And then was there anyone who was a Native American involved with the writer's room or concepts mm-hmm. at the early stages?
2: Well, you know, very early on, I have a friend named David Troyer. He's a, a Ojibwe writer from Minnesota, and uh, he wrote a book called The Heartbreak of Wounded. He's a novelist, but he's re- just recently written a book called The Heartbreak of Wounded Knee. Um, I got him on as a tech advisor. I brought him to the room the first day, and the best thing that David did too was he told me I had to hire this writer, and he, he couldn't. You know, he gave me this name. I could barely pronounce his name. His, his name is Migazy Pansano, and he's like, "You just got to hire this guy. That's what you got to do." Migazi um, is a member of the, seven, uh, the 1491 uh, theater group, which uh, is some indigenous actors. They have this theater group that sort of is, you know, mm. uh, they, they do modern updating of, of, of sort of historical events. Migazi um, was in the room from the beginning. And so early, early on, a large part of the conversation was, this, you know, and again, I'm paraphrasing. I said to Migazi, I was like, what is it that pisses you off the way that Native Americans have been portrayed? And the first thing he said was, and I noticed because I had fallen into this too, is he goes, "I don't want to do chief speak," and I was like, "What do you mean?" And he's like, "Well, every movie you see, all the Indians talk very slowly, you know, as if they, you know, you know, many moons ago, that that sort of thing, right?" And he's like, he's like, they talk just like everybody else. They spoke French. They spoke English. The English spoke their language. And he's like, he goes, so this idea that they are somehow different by the cadence of their language. So that was something he worked really hard with me on, was sort of modernizing or updating the way we depicted the Native Americans. And then also depicting the different factional tribes that were there. Each one of them was this, I think it's a Western, the fault of Western, you know, Westerns as a genre and our Western thought is that we think of the Indians as a monoculture. It's just mm-hmm. one thing. they're all the same. Um, and, and, and again, Migazi was very, very sort of insistent on viewing each one of these tribes wanting something different.
1: Uh, which kind of leads into a little bit of our beginning of the episode of we see a village or a home under attack and it gets later mentioned a specific group of natives did that but then we have another character Yvonne who points out he's a little suspicious on that Um, Rachel what did you think of this is how we're starting off the episode Um, we have a girl who's on the run we have this attack it kind of does set up this brutal tone at the start. What did you think about me, Rachel? Well,
0: first of all, the graphics, that first entry into the world, um, they even say on the first page of the book, um, the way that she describes the forest. I feel like we, like right off the bat, got a really clear image of how intimidating the forest itself can be, um, just right. with how massive it is. And so um, that was a like an amazing image to jumpstart in, and to understand what some of the conflict is going to be. Right up front, we got that um, with seeing, you know, what was happening between the native peoples and the settlers who were there. Nice.
1: Um, was this for you, uh, Elwood, something at the beginning of the book that you're like, oh, we need to have this be the start of the episode, or was it a way to set the tone for the show?
2: Are you saying the, uh, are you talking about the the tree in particular, that very graphic image of the tree?
1: Oh, no, just the very opening kind of scene is the. Oh, well,
2: I mean, it was massively important. And it's funny, it was in the scripts. You talk about going back to the scripts.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. I wrote, you know, usually you're writing scripts, right? You know, a boat comes down the water through a woods, period, right? Then the Mm -hmm. dialogue starts. Um,
0: Mm -hmm. I spent
2: paragraphs describing the woods, the density of them, how they went Mm. forever, the bugs, the mud, what was out there. And then I spent a lot of time in the script also describing what it was like for these people to live out there. Once they stepped outside the walls of that village, there mm-hmm. was wild animals. They believed there were wild, there were spirits that were walking out there. There were English that would kill them. There were, you know, you know crazy trappers. It, it, was, it was just, it's hard to understand how threatening it would have seemed back then because when it was dark, it was dark. So I spent a lot of time in the script and then also in the production of of showing that vast woods. One of the big advantages we had is my production designer, this woman named Isabel Guy. She she we shot. She was very insistent on in shooting up in the woods where the story took place. So mm-hmm. I didn't have to fake any of that. When that opening, when you see when I put the camera, that's real. That's just woods. There's nothing there. So um, I think that gives you some authenticity to this, just the scale and scope of this wilderness these folks were living in. That that was very important. And the actors. I know when they first went to set there, like, holy shit, we're, we're in the woods. There's, we're not, we're not, there's not a, there's not a hospital or a McDonald's over, you know, behind the camera. We're in the middle of nowhere. And that really yeah. set a tone from day one.
1: Did you all set up a base camp in the woods or was everybody trucked in and trucked out?
2: <laughs> it depends. We, we had built, the sets drive to anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour. One time, the, the opening stuff that you're talking about, that was a, probably a, almost an hour drive up into this mountain preserve to get to that top up there where, where you see that water coming in. Um, mm. And there was no self-service, nothing up there. Again, it, it just, it created this authenticity. You know, my director, David Slade and everybody, it just, you just felt like you were in it. And, and the actors, I could see it. I can even see it on screen right now. I can see when they're looking. They're not faking looking at trees. They're looking at an ocean of trees. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, are you- massive? Oh, yes. Are you,
0: are you the one who actually picks the locations or um, is that like a group of people who decide that, Hey, we're going to go into this area that's very secluded. Here's the spot.
2: Well, it's funny. It's just, I mean, again, it's showrunner. You, some yeah. showrunners, I picked everything, but I also had a, like I said, as a production designer and a location manager, I, once they understood what I wanted, Everything they brought me, it was very easy for me to pick it. I said yes because she she didn't take any shortcuts. Every, every single thing was, you know, I know this is a pain in the ass. We got to drive an hour up this mountain road through this dirt and then haul the gear down a cliffside, but it'll be worth it. Um, and she was right, um, so I really, you know, trusted her sense of location. But yeah, I was spent a lot of time driving around woods. We looked at shooting Toronto shooting in Halifax, shooting in Vancouver. And it just kept coming back to this thing. I think that's something that you said early on, which is we wanted to be where the history happened. Because when you're up there, <laughs> you feel it. You know, when you walk, you feel it. You, the people that were working on my show, they were from Quebec. Their, their relatives going back a couple hundred years, some of them had died in the woods, had been had been Jesuits, had been Fidois, had been killed by Indians or British. They, this was living history to them. And, you walk, and the tribes were still there. Many of the tribes were still there on reservations. And so, you felt it being there. You just it was very important for me to immerse everybody there.
1: Well, you do get immersed right away in the <laughs> show for sure. Of the we get to meet our two first kind of characters that feel like maybe they're gonna be start of our narrative. Uh, Renee Sell and Charles Duquet. Yes. Rachel, what do you think of these two ex well, I guess they're still criminals, but ex criminals from France that have now been sent to the New World of their indentured servitude for it's only three years if you survive and then it's gonna be fine
0: yeah um duquet I wasn't sure sure he would actually survive um Mm. and I actually felt really bad for him and especially thinking about Paris that versus where they're at now I just kept seeing in my head the difference like even though this is 1700s Paris as a city was still a very established city compared mm-hmm. to where they were, and this, you know, I feel oh, this poor guy like has no idea how to survive. So, I I'm very scared for him. Yeah, I these
1: I, I I do I think it's interesting too when it's actor choice, and I wonder if it's as much too when you read it. But yeah, I felt bad for Charles that I was like, oh, I don't know if this guy is going to make it, and I understand his unhappiness with the situation but I'm just like okay dude come on I'm a bit more with Renee of all right this is a chance to do something but Charles points out like hey it wasn't your your father and your father before their father before him they worked but apparently you're still in the same situation but I don't know I feel Renee's still a little more of an optimist of where they are and what opportunities could happen for them.
2: Well, it's well interesting. I mean, not to spoil anything, but <laughs> hold on to that feeling you have for Duquesne okay. because you, you'll soon abandon that. I mean, he's uh, okay. <laughs> he he learns some things. He, he's uh, he's he's a he's a quick learner. Um,
1: I do, well, we learned later with him and Marie actually. Um, well, when they're in the woods with that, uh, that was an interesting scene. And actually, I question what they mentioned there's something wrong with the meat, but I didn't quite know what that word was. Rachel, did you catch what was wrong with the ram of why um, I was trying to find. Yeah, they had, they said strandu? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, ca- I caught the
0: word. I wasn't sure what that meant either. I was going to say, uh, El, would, are yeah. we supposed to know yet? Or,
2: Well, I mean, it's funny you guys pick on that because it there was this thread. There was another scene that's missing from the pilot that, that um, mm-hmm. at the end, which I won't give away, when when, uh, when the priest is screaming, he sees something in the woods. And mm-hmm. I actually had I planned to show that. We had to cut it. It, it didn't seem, it, it, it pulled you out of the show a little bit. But one of the things, again, in my reading, Strendu was this demonic spirit that the natives believed inhabited that area. Um, everybody there carried their folklore with them. They were afraid of the dark. I mean they they thought that they thought that devils and demons walked in mm-hmm. the world. And you gotta remember part of the journey from to from the old, you know, from the old European world to the new world, one of the reasons the church was so set on sending priests and nuns there was because they, you know, they viewed all these souls that had to be captured for God and they believed that the in the new world that demons walked the land that had not walked in Europe in many years ago. So there's all these mishmash of superstitions. Um, and, and that was a theme that was a little bit buried. And I think, you know, as the writing goes on, what you see in the show is that man is just as bad as any of these sort of evil, you know, spirits that are out there. Um, you get to see how venal and violent man can be. Um, but, but they had this fear. And I think one of the things I was trying to get at in the script and get in the show is like how much fear drives you to do things. How much fear drives you to survive. How much fear drives you to be a coward in, in Charles Duques's case in some ways like he's just he's so fearful and then he learns to master that fear as the show goes on but it's that it's that it's that sense that you walked into the woods and they just they, they believe there was a very thin line between the physical world and the spirit world um so that that, that was just something was it was i'm glad you picked up on that because it was really important to me in the script it was just i just left it there if you want to find it it's there if not don't worry about it well then
1: the way you're putting that does make me curious on if the show would address the supernatural because a, it really exists or B because these characters believe it really exists.
2: Well, I mean, I would argue that they're the same thing. Um, That, that, that belief. I mean, like Mm -hmm. to this day, people believe things that we know are not true. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so um, that, but, but they, but they take action based on these erroneous beliefs. So um, it was just, it was just this idea, and I was fascinated because I was just reading like how much of their superstition and folklore these people took from the old country to this new country. And remember, everybody on that boat, they had been, like you said, in Paris, a pretty sophisticated mm-hmm. city. They got on a boat having no knowledge online and Google. Like they, they had no idea. They, they had heard that there were savages living in the woods. They had heard that the forest went on for no one had ever explored the end of the forest. So it, mm. it's almost like going to like a, a fantasy world for these people. They, I mean when they when they arrive they have I can't imagine when you see the Fidois, the young women that are coming over there, they're coming over there simply because their families or their their less fortunate girls who have no land at all to try to get land. This is all about land. And so you know I just can't imagine you know how scary that would have been. With all the you know superstitions that existed back then, um, so I was that, that was a. I'm glad you picked up. One. That was a theme I spent a lot of time just sort of working in and then kind of like bearing a little bit.
0: Well, it's interesting too. Speaking of superstitions, because the book, before you even get into the actual novel, there's a quote regarding antiquity and how the native people were more uh, willing to preserve the actual um, trees and plants. Because they believed in spirits inhabiting these, um, you know, inhabiting everything, and so when when the settlers showed up, it, it's just so interesting that the you know that quote it basically said that they didn't have any regard for the trees any longer because they no longer had these superstitions about everything having a
2: soul. Well, I mean, again, that it, it just in my reading, it was interesting to see the clash of cultures there because. The natives had, they were, they were the much more technologically advanced civilization. They, they they knew how to live there. They knew how to survive there. They knew how to thrive there. Um, and then the British had a much more, they were working their way up from the Great Lakes and from the, from the colonies. They had a much more rapacious view of North America. They didn't have any plans on settling it and trying to recreate England there or, or United Kingdom. They, they were there for the resources. The French... Really did want to try to form French society, and ultimately the British uh, battle, and the French hold on to that little piece there. But it was it was just really interesting to sort of clash of these three different dynamics coming together along this really rich, wild, you know, you know, um, river that, that that and and all these different sort of competing factions. That was you know, um, just getting at the heart of that. And again, I think it's history we just don't know. I mean, how you know a couple of things had gone different, you know, all of Canada would have been French speaking. It just, it, it just was, it's just different. It's just, it, it was a very interesting period of history for me. And it was so big. And like you said, no one has really explored this.
1: Now, um, speaking of the recreating the world they came from, those two other characters lead us to Claude Trepanier, uh, which is a very fun character. And his idea of, oh yes, we're going to rebuild it. We're going to have this space is Duma and everything uh rachel what did you think of this character and this new interaction that he has and that his wife is native and uh, mixed with Can- canadian or
0: french and native well, first of all, I love how realistic it is. That is something that absolutely would have happened. And we you don't really see that portrayed completely this way. And so I loved the representation. Um, I loved the accuracy of it. And also, um, I have to say that I loved David uh, Thulis. I believe I said his name correctly. Uh, I loved seeing him in this role. I thought he brought so much life to it. Um, and so, yeah, like, and, and at first I didn't know how to take him, if he was gonna be more on the bad side or the good side. But to me, like the way I'm reading him now is that he's kind of a gray area character. Generally good, but might do some questionable things.
2: I I feel
1: you on that one, yeah.
2: Well, it's interesting, because that character was, um, uh, one of the things I got from Annie that wasn't in the book, she said that, I, cause I asked, I was like, what is this guy going on about God and his dome and all stuff? I couldn't figure out what the hell he wanted. Um, you know, there's also, you forget about North America, a lot of dreamers and a lot of religious people came here to try to find, you know, found like a perfect civilization in Eden. And so that was him. And, and she had said that in the book, she'd intended him to be a Cathar, which was a persecuted, uh, uh you know, persecuted sect that was, um, during the acquisitions, that was eradicated mm. from the kingdom of faith. They were heretical sect. They believed in a divided soul that, you know, people had both good and bad in them, that God was both good and bad. And this is a heretical idea. Um, but and again, I just wanted to have this, as you said, you know, the two characters you mentioned, Cell and Duque, they're scared, they're coming there. I wanted them to meet, you know, a wild man that was just embracing the wildness of of, of the Dome and have this heat vision. Like, I mean, they're people, that's how civilizations are carved out. People have a vision. They, they go there and go, I'm going to make a city here. I'm going to make, you know, make my fortune here. And it takes that craziness. And I do like that you didn't feel like he was good or bad. That was intentional.
1: I feel he's very eclectic and I want to see more from him as yeah. well. Um, cool? A character that I do think is probably more on the bad side, we have Lafarge. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lafarge. And him, I'm like, hmm, a bit more suspect. And that he works for Mr. Cook. And Mr. Cook, I was also like, I feel this is gonna be someone who presents as a good person but has somebody else do the bad things on the DL so that people don't see that happening (laughs) and not connected to it. Uh, Rachel, what are your suspicions or do you have any on these characters and the arrangements they have?
0: Yeah, I think that's where we're going to see some trouble. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And especially with Matilda, because I do not think she's bad, but I think Mm -hmm. they're going to put her in a really Mm. a hard place that's gonna just make it make it give her a tough time um I thought that the performance of um I believe the father I believe he was um the man who basically stepped up Francis Jefford yeah I thought that performance was dead on I the way that he commanded the room and took control of the scene um, oh wait I'm sorry the
1: the husband to Mathilde or the
0: which character? No, um, you know what? Let me, if you want to keep going, let me look him up really fast so I make sure I have well, the right note. I
1: also really liked Mathilde and I also liked her relationship with her husband Francis and thought they're in, there's also something going on mysterious. I, I love the, why it's the rose suite. I thought that was really sweet and touching and also, um, you know, very realistic of plenty of people lost children along the way that, you know, lo- lose many family members. It's hard to survive but um uh, i think um, i'm oh go ahead yes H- hamish
0: gomes yes hamish yeah hamish
1: uh, yes he's a very interesting character so what were you saying you were saying he how he commanded the room and how
0: he commanded the room but how also how he demanded respect for mm, someone who was not french yes. who was a native person and i was like yeah thank you because it it was just very um it was very powerful um Just the way that he didn't even have to say a lot, but everything he said was like, he just took control and was able to kind of, you know, win the power in the scene. Yeah, he
1: says, my equal and treated as such, which I thought was a great moment that I'm like, oh, this character is very interesting. He is no nonsense whatsoever, which I do like that Matilda, she sees that right away and tells her husband like, stop playing games. They don't have time for this which also I think insane playing games in front of these people is like, I mean, (laughs) tell your husband secretly because it's like, wait, why are you playing games? But I like that she's more the level-headed one of these people mean business. We need to be more straightforward with them. And I think Hamish has a lot of mystery about him that I'm very curious about. And he is very laser focused on this missing person that they're going after, the Randall Cross um, which is very
0: interesting. Yeah. And also, Elwood, you had mentioned religion and the fact that, you know, like you said, a lot of people don't remember that a lot of people in Europe were being persecuted for their religious beliefs. And so they were escaping and, and you know, trying to rebuild in North America. And just the fact that we get to see what religion looks like right now uh, in this series, I think, is so uh, it's fascinating um, to see how, you know, we, we, have, um, we have the mother and just different, different people who kind of, you know, believe in different things kind of coming together in this world.
2: Yeah, I mean, when you do any reading of it, like, again, this speaks to the bravery of some of these people. like the Catholic Church was basically funding their expansion in the new world by sending nuns and priests out to make contact with these tribes and try to teach them. They would teach them English then they try to teach them, you know, the catechism and the Bible and stuff like that. And they would also heal them and, you know, and, and look after them and vice versa. And, you know, and, uh, a lot of those priests also died because a lot of the tribes didn't want to be contacted and wanted nothing to do with them. So um, it was a really interesting period of time. And you just look at the sheer numbers of those people that were sent over here by the church. Again, young 17, 18 year old priests, um and and what happened to them Some walked into the woods and never were heard from again so again it's just <laughs> this, you know this idea that everyone's coming there for something some people are being sent there and you brought up Hamish Gomes he was the he's not in the book he was the investigative of oh. uh you know uh character he's the he's the blade he's the guy that's going to come in and start asking the questions and he's got many secrets of his own which we'll we'll find later in the season but he uh I, I wanted somebody like that and I, I like that you picked up that he's no nonsense. He's, he's mysterious and, and a lot of it had to do with the actor, the wardrobe and it and making look like a vampire and like it just he's this very sort of striking character when he comes in and, and the relationship between these two, um between Yvonne uh who is his, you know, you you think is like his translator, but they're actually equals. They are they were equal standing in the company. Um they were they were company men that were, you know, that we think are being sent there to find this missing guy. We learn that's not quite the truth.
1: Mm. I think there is definitely more going on there and why this person went missing but we'll save that for our predictions um we had mentioned the nun and then we meet the women who had been sent over i think one of them is melisande and is it delphine is the the two that were hanging out yeah i thought their interaction was very interesting and you know, like, well, if you have no opportunities at home, you get sent over, like, what are you looking for, a husband? And I like that Melisson's very, like, I want a rich man because it make me comfortable, which, yes, I follow the logic, but it's like that's – I think um, Delphine has a better idea of, like, I want him to be kind, but, you know, they have their, their test for intactness. Um, but for me watching, I like that the nun had the – vial of lamb's blood and was sympathetic to these women of because she could have been the other way and been like well it sucks for you and no and you know expose them but it's Mm -hmm. like no it's okay i understand like you're i I want you to succeed in life so (laughs) i I thought that was a pleasant surprise rachel what did you think of these ladies and that whole interaction
0: I was very shocked when the mother gave her the lamb's blood and actually said, this is how we're going to handle this. Uh, She seemed very like hyper strict and Mm -hmm. that she would have been someone to turn in a young person who admits that they've not only had sex already, but, you know, they, she was pregnant. And mm-hmm. so this, is I mean, back then, this was very, I mean, this would ruin a young girl's chance for a husband. So the fact that the mother would turn around and say, it's okay, we're going to take care of this and just hide what, you've, what I've seen, uh, I thought was very um, commendable and, you know, beyond her time. Well, that does make me have to ask, Elwood, is this how it is in the book or was
1: this a more modern edition?
2: Well, um the Melison character was in the book, which she mm-hmm. was brought over as a as a as a wife from france i I was fascinated by the fi um which is mm-hmm. a program that, that the king there was women one another ways to look at the settlement in north America is women were a scarce resource. The only way you could hold on to the land was to get families there that could mm. women have children and then and then they could pass the land on through generation to generation um, mm-hmm. The feed de Watt program was really fascinating because a lot of these people that were coming there, unlike the men as much, some of them were street urchin girls from Paris. Some of them may have been prostitutes. Um, some of them may have been fourth or fifth daughters. Um, yeah. Never going to get land. We're never going to even be married to anybody with land. Because you remember back in the period of time in the European history then, um, women did not get to choose who they got to marry. The really interesting thing about the feed de Watt is they got to choose. So okay. they bought this ticket not, you know, they got, they took this ticket and said, you know, I'm going to get on a boat. My, you know, imagine a family sending their 15 year old daughter, 16 year old daughter across the ocean, never going to see her again um, with the hopes that she can marry somebody that's going to get land and your family could have land. And some of these families, hundreds of years, never had land. They're, they're, they'll never be they're the aristocracy. They'll never make it up into the upper crust of society. So these women took an incredible chance. Um, and, and the women, the, the, the nuns that were there, they wanted these women to be passed off to these men so they could marry and have children and populate the world and and fulfill God's notion of like, you know, having children. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Mother Sabrine's, she's, she's strict, but she's also a realist. And, and, and she's like, what are you going to do? I can't send you back. Do you know what I mean? Um, uh, And and she's been around the world and you you learn later in some other episodes that she, she isn't your typical mother. She's, she's got a little history too. She's, she's been around the block.
1: But that probably makes her a more interesting and in dynamic character because otherwise, be oh, yeah. like, oh, it's just who we suspect and everything. So,
2: yeah, no, you, know, you like, think the different. none, and that's that's the easy knee jerk thing to yeah. go to, you yeah. know. Yeah,
1: um, we so the other kind of thing that's going on that I'm a little bit suspicious about so we have the captain talking with Hamish as well and trying to get the truth and that the Iroquois are well managed. I don't think they are and i think that's awful (laughs) they're like yes we've managed them uh i think there's definitely a lot going on here rachel were you picking up anything on the managing of other groups of more than one because it might be also the french against the british as well
0: yeah i think that they were um overestimating their as in the french settlers ability to Mm -hmm. To help to keep themselves safe, um, and I I just don't see this going very well for them. I also found it quite interesting when um, we have the scene where they re- where they discover the woman mm-hmm. at the beginning of the episode who we saw running and ran up to a tree, and then we had you know that moment where we see animals attacking a body on a tree I was like wow this is um I mean it was it was very um interesting disturbing but in an interesting kind of way um and just I liked that we had that tie back to the beginning I thought it was going to be
1: the same girl and I'm like wait a minute some other girl climbed a tree too but I mean sure and so we see
0: the other one at the end oh go ahead No, I'm just going to say, I mean, you figure if one girl was climbing a tree, there had to be other people thinking the same, having the same like rational thoughts. So yeah, but yeah, fake out for sure. Yeah. And then we get the very end. We
1: have this, you know, strange man, this weird grave and uh, Hamish and Yvonne are there trying to figure out what's really going on. But we don't get that information just yet. And that's where the episode (laughs) leaves off. Um, Were there any other moments in the episode, Rachel, that stood out to you?
0: Um, I mean, the big one was the moment with the mother um, and Melisandre where we saw the mother. I mean, I read it as, well, the other big thing was when Melisandre, we see that at first she was a little bit um, like feisty um, Mm -hmm. to, as far as she could be without kind of crossing the limit. And now she seems to have a lot more respect for the mother. Um, so that really stood out to me and just yeah. that man at the end when he was standing over the body my thought was that he was just so shocked and so and so much trauma from what he had gone through you know we can only imagine that that's the state that he's left in um, mm. was the state of just shock and you know disarray do
1: we know if Hamish and Yvonne know what uh, Randall Cross looks like?
2: Yes. Uh, okay. You learn, you'll learn it's, it's an important story point that okay. Cross is his brother in law.
1: Okay. Yeah. I, I, I had that man at the end. I'm like, wait, maybe that could be him if they don't know what that man looks like. But I have a feeling they knew this person, and that's why they're trying so hard to find him.
2: He's a priest. He's praying over this this, this okay. uh, grave. And so the mystery becomes this, what well, was a priest? And was this little girl. How did they get mm-hmm. out? One was killed. And that's a mystery that kind of resonates through a couple episodes in the series.
1: Very cool. And we get this mystery dog that maybe was something else. Uh, <laughs> and that, that little sprinkling of Supernatural, which I do like yeah. a lot. Because it is from the perspective of the people of like, is it really or is it not? And is it just in their head or is it really there? Um, and so it's so that nice like toe in the line of it. Uh, so, nice. Uh, Rachel, any other thoughts before we get into some predictions and our special segment?
0: Um, I don't have any other thoughts. All
1: let right, right. We're going to do our, hold on our predictions. We're going to do our special segment where we're looking at the real history of it all and how accurate is it? Rachel's reading the book and going to give us a little bit of like how how much are we following? So Rachel, take it away.
0: Yeah, so um, I think that we touched on a lot of the historical um, pieces of the book and the show. I think I'll just say that from beginning the book, the major difference I noticed is that we actually start with Renee arriving. Um, obviously, we don't have that prologue where um, we see the people running. So I'll just kind of say that that was a difference, but I actually really loved that the show handled it differently because we got more of a sense of the threat. Uh, Not that, not that the book was not amazing because so far it's super interesting as well, but um, it's great to see, you know, that in a show we have that, we have that hint of the conflict to come based on that opening scene. Um, the other thing I just wanted to mention, and this is a little bit different than what we're going to do on this special segment, but there's also, uh, for anyone who's interested in reading, um, there is an article from, uh, on uh, the Middle East daily, and it's discussing how bar, bar, bark skins is breaking the mold on native representation and how you know, like you were talking about Elwood, even in the mannerisms and how people speak on the show, um, is they're changing the way that we perceive um, language during that time period. And so if you, you know, anyone who's interested, you can find that article um, online on the Middle East Daily um, discussing that. Nice. Um, something I noticed in that
1: article too is, I'm going to probably say her name wrong, but heap. So
2: Horn? <laughs> you how can call you her, her Dio. Her Dio. You just call... The the T is pronounced D in the Mohawk language.
1: Oh, so you okay. Can say,
2: and her name is just Dio. I call her Dio. Oh, nice.
1: Oh, nice. Um, I, I liked that she's in the article as well talking about how she actually is mixed race as well mm-hmm. and liked that she got to play that in the show because she's... Sometimes what Hollywood doesn't see is like you're ethnically um more than one race um you know cuz she's native american and you know um i didn't look at what no recall what the other
2: she's mohawk she's mohawk. a she's from the mohawk tribe her, mo- her mother is actually a pretty fairly famous mohawk activist um and oh, she nice. was born and raised on the mohawk reservation so you know uh, yes she is her you know she is of mixed you know heritage but like she grew up in the mohawk reservation yeah. she speaks mohawk She was a huge asset to me getting actors. I got a lot of actors from the Mohawk Reservation to come up and play Iroquois. It was awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I
1: I really like her character. Um, I liked her uh, on previous shows as well. So I was like, "Ooh, I like that." That is a authenticity that's in her real life and into the show as well. Um, let's do some quick predictions predictions
0: uh rachel anything now, that's jumping out at you, you I think we're gonna get some more answers in the next episode in terms of what's going on with cross um obviously we're not done with hamish and mm-hmm. um just uh yeah I, I think that Melisandre is gonna get a husband pretty quickly and that something might go wrong with this lamb's blood and something mm. that she doesn't want coming out will come out
1: Ooh I like that prediction. I am very suspect of Mr. Cook and Lafarge and I feel some of their secret dealings is not going to go as well and as you we were kind of saying with themselves that I, I also think some kind of something's going to clash there as well of uh, it's it's with the captain too of I don't know if they're kind of secretly uh, you know hiding what's really going on like i feel there's something else bigger and they're killing people off like some this is some other side plot i'm like i don't know but i feel there's something going on there and we don't know what it So is i'm really curious to see how it unfolds in the upcoming episodes and i bet elwood you're sitting there poker face and like "Mm." (laughs) nice uh, and then I would actually, speaking of that, is there anything else you'd like to share with viewers for what they can look forward to for the rest of the season or anything you'd like to tease or say about the show?
2: Well, I'm going to touch on a little bit. I mean, it's not, you're not incorrect to suspect that a lot of stuff is going to get out. These are people in axes and guns in the woods. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, I think it's a line in the pilot, like, uh, uh, that people don't build their fortunes and their wealth by being good people. Um, Mm. A lot of, and if you look, I mean, it's the history of North America. It's a history of capitalism. And again, it was something that was in the show, which is all great capitals or, or civilizations were built on the blood of the have nots and they were built on the sort of, you know, I think it's Annie, Annie's Proust thesis statement. It's, It's basically the rape of the land. They were exhausted resource after resource after resource and the people were a resource in that sense um and so the the people that were the indentured servants like duke and Cell, they were just cannon fodder to come there and build this pro, this land and so you know that's one of the things that the book takes to the 10th degree uh and i certainly do in the show like i i, I believe me i'm a, a lot a lot goes on in eight episodes hmm.
1: looking forward to seeing yeah. it unfold well, also the other great thing with eight episodes is you can pack a lot of information, but not make it feel like you're drawing it out or having filler episodes. It's a more focused story rather than, you know, all over the
2: place. Well, it was originally intended to be ten episodes, but because of the weather, I had to shrink oh, okay. it. So it was like you went. To, there's a lot of compression in the storytelling right now. You'll you'll see it. Hmm. it each episode advances the story quite a bit.
1: Nice, looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm really excited. Uh,
0: Rachel, anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? Uh, no, just that, you know, I'm I'm going to keep reading the book as I watch along. So I'm going to be super, you know, I'm just going to be paying attention to the differences and um, how things are done different. Yeah, just, I'm just going to be comparing it in like a good nice. way.
1: Yay, you'll be our history and book expert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much for El- Elwood for talking with us and sharing behind the scenes and your process and your involvement. At the show is super fun to hear those details that you know only you could
0: share.
2: Well, it's it, likewise. It's it's interesting to see real time reactions to the show and, mm. and where you think things are going. To, as a writer, it's very illuminating to to because I never I don't get to talk to people. Just you know, they're all everyone's involved in the show that I talk to. So mm. it's. Just, it's interesting to hear what you guys think could happen and, and the details that you pick up. But um, great questions, especially picking up some of the supernatural elements that were woven into the, into the plot.
1: Cool. Well, thank you. And you know, you're going to have more people wanting to talk with you since this show is coming <laughs> out. Where can people find you online?
2: Uh I keep a pretty, I'm on Instagram and, and uh, I have a, a Twitter that I've been sort of posting some photographs from the show. I took a lot of, moody weird behind the scenes uh black and white photos when i was there (laughs) so i spent most of my time writing and not much time online to be honest
1: well you have a couple ways that people can now uh, follow along and see some more behind the scenes stuff which is really enjoyable
0: too for fans uh rachel where can people find you online you can find me on twitter at rach goodman or on my author instagram account at rachel radner author Nice. And you can find me online at Carrie D. Lane.
1: That's K-A-R-I-D-L-A-N-E. And if you like sci-fi and a little bit more on the quirky side, you can go check out The Vagrant Queen After Show. That's Sundays at 3 p.m. And if you're an anime fan, we're doing Demon Slayer at 6 p.m. on Sundays as well. Again, Elwood, thank you so, so much for talking with us. And everybody, thank you for watching. Comment down below what you thought on this episode. And we'll be excited to cover more.
2: Thank you.